Welcome to this week's edition of Yanks Go Talking. I first just want to thank Tom and Manny for taking the helm in the last episode. It is ridiculously difficult to get people from four different time zones to record a podcast. And in saying that, we have missed Ryan again this week. So it's Jake and Tom. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and listening to this podcast or watching it wherever you are. Obviously, today we are wrapping up the November World Cup qualifying window. The U.S. took home four points after beating Mexico dos Acero in Cincinnati and then drawing against Jamaica in the office. So, Tom, we're going to talk a little bit today about how we feel about this qualification now that we have just two windows left, six games for the U.S. men's national team to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Stars and strikes for the window, so your favorite uh, times are back for the podcast We'll go through the games that we're watching now that clubs, club football will be back and take on the last word. Tom, before we get going, how are you? Doing really well, Jake. Um, glad that this window's wrapped up. It was an exciting one, but looking forward to a couple months with a little bit less frantic U.S. schedule and just trying to survive to the weekend to Thanksgiving break. It's almost holiday season. Feels great. How are you? Yeah, if we didn't have enough issues scheduling around this time, I'm sure once the holidays hit Thanksgiving and Christmas take over, you'll be hearing from many different guest hosts for the Yanks Go Talking podcast. So let's talk a little bit about this November window. It's quite odd. I don't know if you're feeling similarly to me, but currently the U.S. is sitting in second place, one point behind Canada. As we all expected, Canada is in the lead after eight games, and the U.S. is only one point ahead of Mexico and Panama in the qualification for this next year's World Cup. I just want to take a moment to talk through emotionally how we're feeling as fans, but maybe mathematically as well. Tom, that's really your area of expertise. Mathematically, really, like how are we doing? Should we be expecting that we comfortably make the World Cup or is there reason to worry at this point? So it's an interesting question and I actually don't have a clear answer to it because if you look at the math, the math says, yes, we're going to qualify and it should be really easy. I think pretty much every ELO model you look at has us between 93 and 95% chance to qualify in the top three. The problem is that Panama is completely outperforming their ELO expectations and have had insane luck to get where they are right now. And if they keep outperforming their ELO, then literally none of these models are going to predict it coming. They're all going to expect CONCACAF to catch up to Panama. If that doesn't happen, then we're looking at a really, really stressful last two windows where Panama could force us to a playoff if they get lucky and we don't take care of business. So normally I would say 1.87 points a game is exactly where you want to be and should be in contention for first place. But with this four-team group that just seems to be dominating the qualifying cycle so far, I don't know. It's a lot more stressful than it should be right now. That's what every U.S. fan wants to hear. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. It's the This Panama is really messing up all of the equations. If Panama, If we had tied against Panama in Panama, I think we could be writing our ticket right now that's how much that game mattered and to have one one point separating us from first place to potentially needing a playoff 
against a South American team, maybe an Asian qualifier team. It's, it's for me, I'm starting to get that funny feeling again where there's a chance. I, I think before 2018 and that World Cup qualifying cycle, I never really thought it was in danger. But 95% at this point, I don't even care. You're saying there's 5% chance that we don't. And if Panama keeps outperforming their ELO, then none of this matters and it's all going to be up in the air. This is a really stressful time. And at the same point, tell us why maybe we shouldn't be worried. I I think we shouldn't be worried for the very reason that we have the three easiest home games of anyone left in the in the oct we play el salvador at home we get panama at home which is going to be the most crucial match of the rest of qualifying for us and we get honduras at home honduras is already out el salvador is teetering on the edge of being out so having two teams with nothing to play for at home is a really good spot to be in and i really like our chances to pick up nine points in those three matches leaving us just with one or two points needed on the road from three tough matches to qualify safely. Yeah. And if Panama drops one more, they're done. It's it. Go ahead and end qualifying then. Is it safe to say that we have the easiest home games and the most difficult away games left? I don't know if I'd say the most difficult away games because Panama has to go to Mexico, the U S and Costa Rica. So I, I would say that we both have about the same difficulty because we trade Canada for Panama's home game at us. Mm-hmm. But both of us have the toughest road schedule left by far. So it's going to be tricky to get points on the road the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the next window, we are away to Canada. And then the last window of the qualifier, we're away to Mexico. And then we end our qualifying campaign away to Costa Rica, where I will remind everybody the U S has never won a game in Costa Rica in qualifying before. So, okay. That's the math now emotionally. And as a fan perspective, how are you feeling about our qualifying chances? I don't know what to make of it because at home we've looked since the Canada match, which, you know, we didn't have Weston McKenney. It was a very weird match. We've looked dominant, but on the road, I don't know what to make of it. We've played our four easiest games and have looked abysmal in every single one of them. And that doesn't inspire me with a ton of confidence going forward, playing now our three toughest games on the road and probably needing a point out of it. So, you know, just seeing something positive on the road would make me feel a lot better than I do right now, I feel like. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think if anything, this window taught me how important Weston McKinney is. And I will be the first to raise my hand and say I was ready to throw him off board, (laughs) walk the plank, Weston, and make room for Gio Reyna as the 10 to leave Eunice Musa in the midfield and Timothy Weah on the right wing. And yeah, I will be the first to raise my hand and say that was wrong. We need Weston McKinney in this lineup, and he gives us so much that maybe doesn't get onto the stat sheet, even though he did score a critical goal against Mexico. If we have him against Jamaica, I feel like that game is just entirely different. But is there anything else that stuck out to you? Obviously, in Stars and Strikes, we might talk about some of these players, but was there like one or two critical things for you that you've kind of learned throughout this qualifying cycle? 
I mean, yeah, I think we've learned the importance of players like Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney and how those are really crucial players. We can't drop them. I think I've learned a little bit about our center back depth as well, how comfortable I am there. And I've also learned how comfortable I am with our winger depth, which are both areas that I was not expecting to be comfortable with going into this qualifying cycle. I mean, the fact that we are where we are and we've not given hardly any minutes to Gio Reyna or Christian Pulisic is frankly shocking. That's true. That's very true. But again, it, it gives to my my emotional state of every time we go through these qualifying windows, I'm at times elated and at times ridiculously worried that we're not going to be in Qatar in 2022. So please, yeah. please, Christian Pulisic, <laughs> get back to your club teams, be healthy, be in a long way towards the U.S. qualifying chances over the next two windows. All right. Speaking of some of the players that rose to the occasion, maybe their stock rose or their stocks fell. We're talking about these two games specifically against Jamaica and Mexico. Tom, who are your stars of this qualifying window? I feel like my 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 first star has to go to Tim Weah because he was fantastic this qualifying cycle, this window. He absolutely tore Mexico a new one the entire game long. They had no answers for him. And when we were looking good against Jamaica, it was because we were playing through Tim Weah and he looked fantastic, at least in the first half of that game. He completely disappeared in the second half, so I'm not going to... But we all, every player did, so I don't really hold that against Yeah, we him. had a ghost team in the second Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a whole issue entirely that I'm not sure Wea is really at fault for. The second player I think stood out to me was Weston McKinney. Well, like we said, he just, he adds so much in attack, and he's a two-way player going backwards in defense, going forward with the ball. He turns the ball over a lot but he just makes plays happen. And it's sort of underrated how much he just gets the ball, drives and hits a beautiful diagonal to get an attack started, which we could clearly see against Jamaica that we really missed that ability to just ping the balls around the field that McKenney brings to the table. So going forward, he's undroppable for me from the starting 11, which we should have known going into this window, but it was definitely up for debate. And then the third player... I don't know. There were a lot that stood out to me. Um, Eunice Musa deserves a shout because he's just phenomenal, and I'm impressed with him every time he touches the ball. But Walker Zimmerman also deserves a shout. So I, I would say that it's between those two because Walker Zimmerman, I think, was a controversial addition to the roster, but he was a solid defender the entire window. He did well against Antonio. He shut Mexico down. Having that extra depth behind Brooks next to Richards when Miles Robinson isn't available is key for us having this sort of center back depth. And Zimmerman, he stood out to me for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to steal that one. Walker Zimmerman was my first star. And for all the reasons that you talked about, but I think what I've seen in terms of trends where the U.S. has been really successful and where we struggled is I feel like we struggle against teams that make it a very physical game. And we don't have the biggest team, we don't have the strongest team, and we don't have a team of you know 28-year-old plus where you've had time to build that muscle and really think about that game, the game on that level. I think what Walker Zimmerman does for us is to be that physical presence on the field. And as much as he likes to get into the scuffles 
as much as maybe Ricardo Pepe has a large body in a boy's mind, Walker Zimmerman is kind of all of those things in a center back. So I think against those physical teams, I've definitely seen that the U.S. has struggled against that. And Zimmerman is kind of that point where we can all focus on to bring us into that physical nature of the games. I wish that we made it a bit more technical, but when you're playing on these fields in CONCACAF away, it's not always easy to dribble and pass in the most effective manner. Um, Timothy Wayat definitely deserves a shout. I will say someone that maybe surprised me in terms of their non-production this window. Maybe I'm going into strikes already, but Brendan Aronson didn't really have the best window. I'll, I'll maybe get back to stars, but Brendan Aronson on the other side of Timothy Wea just didn't really do it for me. I thought in his cameos, Jesus Ferreira did really well. I did like what I saw from him and coming on against Mexico. I mean, that's a, still a tough environment. We are still only up by one goal when he came onto the field. So credit to, to Ferreira for playing as a nine, even though he trains and plays most of the time as the number 10 for FC Dallas. So if I can take the stars away, it'd be Zimmerman, Wea, uh, Jesus Ferreira as the substitute. And I think I'm going to say this, Greg's starting 11s were standout for me. I had yeah. essentially no issues with any of the starting 11s that he put out, especially against Mexico. I mean, to play Timothy Wea instead of your beloved Paul Ariola, Sebastian Lejet didn't get any minutes this camp, and there was very little rotation. So we had maybe one of the top three performances of a U.S. team ever against Mexico and we only changed the players that had card accumulation or card suspension. So I really loved what Greg did with the starting 11, and I feel like he deserves a lot of credit and praise for that. Now, his roster construction still continues to be a negative trend, and we talked about this before the November window started up. I want to get your take because... We potentially could have seen John Brooks in the spot that maybe Chris Richards or Zimmerman was employing. And because we didn't bring any backup number nines, there wasn't really a physical presence like maybe Daryl DK could have been against Jamaica to try and switch it up in the way that that game was progressing. Do you, How do you feel about the starting 11s and maybe the overall the roster construction that Greg brought to this camp? Uh, the starting 11s were phenomenal. I mean, I don't think I would have changed anything in either match. It was the perfect rosters, the perfect 11s to go after both those teams. And I, I was shocked that Burhalter did it because I thought for sure Paul, Paul Ariola was going to get a start or Sebastian Legette was going to end up getting a start somewhere. But to see Greg roll with what it was essentially the best available players was, was great to see. The roster construction does leave me a little bit baffled, though, because he's just Greg is so inconsistent on how he determines who gets called up. Why is Reggie Cannon, who barely ever plays for Boa Vista, getting a call up at a right back spot. Why are we wasting that on a fullback when, you know, we could just you run with Joe Scali as the backup? Why is Mark McKenzie still getting called into these camps to sit on the bench when John Brooks is playing well for Wolfsburg? Why does Paul Ariola continue to get a shout on these rosters when a player like Comrade De La Fuente is available? We could be getting him integrated into the team. I don't understand what Sebastian Leggett is still doing on the roster if he's not going to play, or Christian Roldan for that matter. I feel like 
there just is so much dead space on these rosters, and that's not even getting into the striker issue where we essentially were riding peppy or bust this window, that it could be just made so much better if he if Greg was more consistent with who he selected. Yeah. I, I feel like at all at once I can be very happy and I can be happy and concerned with the results and I can be happy and concerned with the roster construction and Greg's Mm -hmm. decision-making. There's parts of it that I really like and parts of it that I see genuine growth in from window Mm -hmm. to window. And there's parts that I see continuous trends of the same thing happening over and over again. Like this roster construction piece, we've been talking about it since the nation's league and then the gold cup and then the world cup qualifying windows. We've been talking about it for like the last five or six camps. There's been consistent issues along that line. So that's yeah. All right. I'm starting my strike with that Greg's roster <laughs> construction. My other strike was Brendan Aronson. And I think I'll go with my other strike. This is really uh, just the refs of CONCACAF. What is happening? What, like, what I don't understand, especially in the Jamaica game. Okay. So a draw was, in all things considered, what happened in that game. A draw was probably fair, but if you watch the tackles that Jamaica had on us, there were probably two that could have been a full red card. I don't even know if both of them were yellow carded. No, neither of them were shown a card. Yeah, neither of them were shown a card. Okay. I heard we're going to have VAR in January. That's been confirmed, so that's good, Mm -hmm. but... Who cares about VAR if the refs won't use that correctly or won't call the game correctly? So for all of the Jamaicans that are saying, oh, that header shouldn't have been called a foul, we should have won the game. And I think uh, they had another chance right in front of goal that they missed. Yes, on those chances alone, Jamaica probably should have won the game. And at the same time, we should have been playing 11 versus 9 for some of the game with the U.S. with 11 players and nine Jamaicans. So tomato, tomato, potato, potato, and all of that goes aside when the refs just can't call the game. But what do you think about that, Tom? Did you happen to watch the second half of Mexico and Canada? No, too late for me. <laughs> <laughs> that I have never heard. I don't know who the announcers were. One of the announcers, the color commentator was a former women's national team player from Canada. And she spent the entire second half going off about the refs because essentially they just stopped calling fouls in the second half. Canada probably should have been awarded at least two penalties. Mexico probably should have had at least four more yellow cards, if not one or two red cards. Like they just stopped calling fouls completely the entire second half of that game and it was baffling because the ref basically said okay Mexico can go out and mug them and we're not going to call it the same thing happens against Jamaica in October and in November where we probably should have played them 11 v 9 twice and instead both (laughs) games finish 11 v 11 (laughs) and then the Mexico game they allow two face claws against Aronson don't even give I think they might have given that a yellow card and then they give the softest cards to McKenney and Miles Robinson. So I don't understand CONCACAF refs. And VAR is not going to help. <laughs> yeah, VAR is only as good as the refs using them. And if the yeah. refs are terrible and don't want to be overturned, then there's no point in using yeah. VAR. But yeah. if, if we're using a, hope. 
if we're going with like a Salvadoran referee who's using the VAR for the first time in a World Cup qualifying match, I'm not necessarily comfortable with that. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. There's <laughs> there's more concacafing to occur, more concacafing to look yeah. forward to. But uh, is yeah, it who fair to, strikes? <laughs> is it, first, is it fair to say Jamaica got concacafed a little bit? <laughs> I mean, a little bit. It it was so back and forth, right? Like at at the point where they should have scored the goal and not had it counted back, they would have been down to nine players. So yeah. it's it's really like a moot point for me that you can't mm. go back. But yeah, they were concacaf. That wasn't a foul on Walker Zimmerman. And they should have had they should have scored their other opportunity. Yeah. But I mean to me, it's it's like both teams had points that you could take away or give back based on, you know, what you're calling and what, what color the card is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, that's part of CONCACAF is that this is the way it is. The refs are terrible, like famously terrible. And so you've just got to overcome that in every single game. And it's part of why it's so difficult to predict this region because you never know when you're going to get the most bizarre call, like a goal not going in, for instance, that eliminates you from a World Cup. I mean, if you think all the way back to, again, I'm not trying to bring up and stir <laughs> bad memories, but the game that we played against Trinidad and Tobago, the I think the first goal they scored was like a 40-yard screamer into the top corner. The second goal was the from Omar Gonzalez. Like against Jamaica now, we have the ridiculous Antonio strike, which deserved goal. Like, yeah, good job. Very yeah. nice shot. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, and then the refing performance that that happened after that. So it's those games that just have so much chaos and mm. and that factor where you you have no idea what the talent is actually going to give you because there's other stuff that can play into the game yeah. and into the result. Yeah, I mean, look at Panama for instance. The reason they're tied with us is because of a Giassi Zardes own goal, and because. Honduras couldn't hold a two-goal lead at home after the 75th minute. If either of those go a different way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Strike <laughs> to Honduras for not keeping that two-goal lead and giving that up to Panama, where Panama got the three points away. I don't, know if you're fo- I don't know if you're following the Yanks go talking Twitter at all during Hondur- Panama, or Panama matches, but I kept congratulating Panama's opponents for scoring goals. <laughs> Only for Panama to come back and absolutely blow my tweets out of the water. So eventually in the second half of El Salvador, I just gave up. Yanksco talking is never tweeting about a Panama game again. Yeah, you need reverse <laughs> psychology now. But I tried but dude, that. It's like, <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> I, yeah, and against El Salvador, I congratulated Panama after El Salvador's goal for completing the comeback. Well, nothing works. Nothing works. Great minds think like. But yeah. dude, it's like we... <laughs> Same conversation again. We shouldn't be having to root for Panama's opponents to qualify for the World Cup. Like we're, yeah. this is very pretentious, but we're the United States of America. We have the best yeah. team in CONCACAF talent, on talent alone. We shouldn't be worrying about or rooting for Panama's opponent. Yeah. That's where I, we are right now, though. Half of the Panamanian team plays in Bolivia. Like we we should not be rooting for Panama's <laughs> opponents to do anything right now. Like we should be 
we are sitting on enough points that we should be comfortable, and it's a testament to CONCACAF that we're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally agree. But, okay, I've said my piece. What, who, who and what are you striking? <laughs> I'm So as much as I'm praising Walker Zimmerman for his defense, my first strike is his passing. Because, yikes, it was bad against Jamaica. Like, not just the field was bad and he couldn't complete ground passes. It was hitting long diagonals out of bounds, hitting 45-yard long balls that didn't go to anyone. Like, bad switches of play. It was, I have no idea. I clocked him five or six times where I just sort of had walkers of him and passed to the empty field. And as good as he is defensively, he's got to improve his passing if we're going to, you know, qualify for the World Cup and he's going to play because it left something to be desired. And so that's sort of the flip side of the positive Walker Zimmerman star that I have. Another strike for me was Anthony Robinson. I love Anthony Robinson. I'm a huge fan of how he plays, but something was off in both games. I thought he was probably one of our worst players against Mexico. Still had a great game, but had issues with his control and issues with his passing at least in the first half. And then he never found the game against Jamaica. And we got to have better from our left back, even though I don't see anyone surpassing him. He's still obviously our first choice left back, but it just wasn't as good as we've come to expect from him so far in qualifying. And then my third, I think I got to echo Brendan Aronson. He just, he seemed a little lost out there in both games. Like normally he's a little bit more direct. He's taking players on, but I didn't really see a whole lot of production from him offensively at all in either game. And, you know, you're, that's going to happen. Not every player is going to turn in their best performance for a U.S. shirt every single time they go out. But to have both our left back and our left wing turn in bad performances is just not what you want to see in a shortened window like that. Yeah, I worry about him. So it's just been two games. I'm I'm not mm-hmm. completely worried about him or his production. But I worry that the conversation can eventually become the exact conversation that we have about Josh Sargent, which is essentially look at how much defensive pressure he puts on. Look look at his aggression. Look at how much he gives to the team. And I'm a huge Mm -hmm. proponent of that. Like Brendan Aronson alone is a, he's worth three players pressing the other team. Mm -hmm. And that's like 70 or 80 minutes of the game. He never gets tired. Mm -hmm especially against Mexico, I will say like as much as his production didn't meet the expectation of what I know his, his value to be to the team, his pressing against Mexico, especially in that second half was part of the reason why we dismantled them. But yeah, I I completely agree. Our left side definitely let us down. Mm -hmm. Question on Anthony Robinson. Sorry. If, if Dest is healthy and Joe Scali continues to play well for Gladbach, are those the right and left backs that you could see in the future? I could see it, but we got to see Joe Scally play first before I'm willing to say that Robinson before this window has been almost our best player in qualifying. So it's really hard for me to say that, you know, he had a bad November window. We've got to drop him when he's our tied for our second lead in assists right now. He he's been so good that, Scally's going to have to do a lot and show that he can handle the U S men's national team before I'm willing to even entertain that conversation. Well, that requires Greg to play him as well. 
<laughs> Maybe in January, hopefully in January, because I want to see what he can do. But yeah, Jedi is, it was just uncharacteristic from him because normally, you know, he's terrorizing that left wing. Yeah, absolutely. But, so yeah. guys, the, with the November window wrapped up and where the standings currently are, our next world cup qualifying games start in late January. There is a December camp. So usually in every other year, not named COVID or winter world cup <laughs> in Qatar, we have a January camp lovingly called Camp Cupcake. And usually we're bringing in MLS players, players that aren't based in Europe. Now this season, it's a little bit different. We will have a December camp that doesn't have any World Cup qualifying games. We have one exhibition scheduled against uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, I believe. Yes. And yes. Um, so we will be bringing in that scope of player. Uh, so are there any players, Tom, that you're looking forward to seeing in that December camp? I really want to see Jesus Ferreira get an extended run out after seeing him this camp. I would love to see what he can do. A couple of the players who are currently playing with the U-20s, players like Caden Clark and Malik Sonogo and uh, Cade Cowell are also on my list that I'd you know like to see. I think this is a good opportunity to integrate some of the youth. So... I don't think Joe Scali will come or any of our European prospects. So it'll be mainly MLS based. Those are sort of my big talents. I'm not as familiar with the youth right now. Have you got any other youth that you're interested in? Uh, Jordi Mihaljevic is a name yeah. that I will continue to stand for. There are a few USL guys as well. I don't think that they're really at the level. So I watched a few of the highlights from the U20 games. Again, the time zones weren't working in my favor, but, um, Justin Shea is another one that I would love to see get minutes with the U.S. team on a more B.C. team basis. But it it really looks like most of our talent, most of our most talented U23 players that are capable of playing are already in Europe and are already a part of this team. I think when you talk about Caden Clark, Cade Cowell, uh, Malik Sonogo, those are all you know young, very young. U20 players. They're 18 and 19 mm. years old, but they mm. do deserve to kind of start moving themselves into that second or third tier of depth mm -hmm. for the US. What about the Sonoras and Johnny Cardoso? Would this be a good opportunity to bring them in? I'm not sure about their club schedules and if they'd be available, but mm. Alan Senora continues to score. It feels like every <laughs> time we have this recording it's a new week it's a new performance by alan senora i really want to see him and he did say right before the november qualifiers as well that if he was called up for the u.s he would happily go play and commit himself to the u.s so he he's one of those players where i'm like why didn't we have him as a replacement for weston mckinney or luca de la torre could yeah. have played the weston mckinney role um mm -hmm. johnny cordozo like we're kind of, we have depth in, you know, our wing positions, in our fullbacks. We have some center back depth, but we're kind of screwed if Tyler Adams gets injured. And Johnny Cardozo is one of the only other pure number sixes in the U.S. pool. And he's been with the U.S. national team before. Why isn't he getting reps? Why isn't he in this camp instead of Christian Roldan or Sebastian Legette if they're not going to get any more minutes? So, to me, mm -hmm. that's another just kind of check in terms of the roster construction of players that are performing in very competitive leagues that are producing at 
positions that we are in need of, at least in terms of in need of depth, and we don't see them with the national team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's time to start calling some of these players in. I would love to see Johnny get a run out. Um, unfortunately, there's so much talent in Europe that I just don't think is going to make a December trip over to the U.S. for a game against Bosnia. So players like Christian Cappy that we might want to see are not going to get a run out, but might be interesting ones to look at as well. There's enough talent in MLS, though, to fill out a really interesting roster. And I think it's also going to come down to who survives the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So great transition, Tom. Good job. That's why I pay you the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, MLS playoffs are back this weekend. Who and what are the games that you're watching? Doesn't have to necessarily be MLS. So I'm going to start with an MLS playoff game because I feel like Atlanta United and New York City FC is going to be a really good game. And I think it's probably the best game of the first round. So I'm looking forward to that one and perhaps maybe Minnesota Portland, but less so than the United game. Cause I think that there's going to be some fireworks in that one, especially being played on the shortened awful field that is Yankee stadium. So that's for sure. One that I'm looking at uh, going over to Europe. I'm looking for Christian Pulisic to get a couple minutes against Leicester city for Chelsea. So that's sort of my big European game to watch right now. And then I'm going to go with a personal one here as sort of a third game. I'm getting back into watching some live soccer this weekend. I'm flying into Charlotte to take in some U.S. third division action in Nisa. I'll be heading to see my hometown Chattanooga FC play Stumptown Athletic in front of unexpected 200 fans. So <laughs> it'll be uh, one of 200. <laughs> one of 200. It'll be an exciting game. Chattanooga FC is, I think, looking to sneak into the fourth spot for the playoffs and get the honor of getting murdered by Detroit City FC. So (laughs) um, hopefully they can get that done. And I'm looking forward to being back with some of my friends uh, watching some live soccer. It's always great when your prize for winning is being murdered. That's that's a good thing. Um, I am also looking forward to the MLS playoffs. The New York Red Bulls have miraculously snuck into a playoff spot and quite a spicy first round meeting between the Philadelphia Union and the New York Red Bulls. So I will be watching that. And that's also at a nice time for a London based person to watch the game. I think it'll be like 2.30 or something my time, uh, even noon, maybe uh, or nice. noon Eastern. 5 p.m. my time. That will be really nice. And let's see, Hoffenheim. So Chris Richards takes on Jesse Marsh and Tyler Adams this weekend in the Bundesliga. And just like you, I'm looking for a resurgence of post-COVID lockdown Pulisic coming back to Chelsea and making a difference there. So yeah, just excited to have European football back, excited to have MLS playoffs here. And all of these things have knock-on effects to what happens for the U.S. in the coming months. As good a form as we can get back into for these games coming up in January just gives us the best chance at getting to Qatar at the end of 2022. All right, Tom, we talked through everything you could ever think of. I, I sense some fatigue in the U.S. fan base of just listening and watching these videos I've seen some numbers go down, even tactical manager after two hours of a new video going up had less than a thousand views. That is not a slight to his talent or his commentary. I just think we all 
need to take a little bit of a break after these these games and how we feel. So guys, take 24 hours, go hug your families, kiss your children. And then Timothy Weah and Leal are back at it tomorrow night <laughs> where you can watch the U.S. back in action. So that's the break that you get. But Tom, what, what's your last word after this World Cup qualifying window, all jokes aside? So going into the window, we were saying that it was, we expected four to six, we wanted four to six points. We were not like confident we were going to get more than three and we're sort of thinking that two is a possibility. So getting four right now should have us feeling a lot better than we are. And realistically, despite all the math, despite all the potential possibilities that are out there, we're still in a really good position right now. I am excited to see what we can do going forward. We've got a couple months to get healthy and we go back at it again. So let's watch these club games closely, see if we can't get some players in Weston McKinney level form going into this next window, because it's going to, we're going to need all hands on deck, but I'm excited. We're in a good spot, much better than we were four years ago. Let's, let's leave it there that it's not as bad as it could be. (laughs) Yep. And I'll say as tight as the table is, it makes for some good, exciting games. And there was genuinely no better feeling than beating Mexico Dos Acero in that pressure-packed situation to get the three points over them. So if anything, it's scary, it's frustrating, and at the same time, it provides, as a fan, a very exciting opportunity to watch these last six games coming up. Guys, thank you so much for always watching and listening. We had our first episode cross the 200 audio download mark. So thank you so much for all your support. Make sure if you're watching on YouTube to like the video and subscribe to the channel so you can always catch the newest Yanks Go Talking episode. And we will see you next week. Hopefully Ryan wakes up from his bowling Benadryl coma to join Tom and I back on the next episode. Thanks everyone. Hope you have a great day. See you guys.